You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. I'm going to read a passage of scripture and then I'm going to take four main points out of that and then I'm going to conclude with something hopefully very appropriate. Um, when I was young, uh, my sister used a rude word. I was probably like 13, maybe 12, something like that. And um, my sister used a rude word and I said, um, which is what we used to say. I'm telling. And um, I, I checked her on it and she said, no, it's okay. Because name of youth leader said, God looks at the heart. And so it doesn't matter. It's okay. As long as your heart's okay, you can say what you like kind of thing. And I thought, oh, well, that's liberating. (laughs) And um, you have to remember, like, the worst lies have truth sewn into them, don't they? That's what C.S. Lewis says. And so it kind of led to this, I don't know, very small, like, incrementally, it led to a kind of destruction in my life. Just that little lie. Um, and I remember the first time I swore at school. And I was in, um, it was a drama class. And I dropped what the young people of today now call an F-bomb. And um, I, as soon as I said it, my heart broke. Something happened, like something broke inside me. I was just so ashamed, so embarrassed. And the worst thing was, is I was trying to be funny, and I thought, if I say this, it's going to push the envelope, whatever the phrase is, and people are going to find this really drop-dead funny, because it's, you know... Um, and they didn't. And I was just... I was so ashamed. Um, but I didn't learn my lesson. And um after... Um, college, I, I went to live out in Argentina for a while. And so I had a new language to do it in. Um, and a new audience and a very conservative audience. So the first f- full phrase I learned in Spanish was ponete dedo en tu ombligo y olelo. You know? And, um, <laughs> it means put your finger in your belly button and smell it. I was like pushing the boundaries of, of social propriety. And, um, and I enjoyed the attention that I got by, like, saying these, um, things. <clears throat> and then I went to university, and again, I, I, I was a, a student at university, and then I was using words which were kind of risque and dr- jokes which were kind of borderline, you know, rude and stuff. And I kind of enjoyed the infamy of being like a, a sort of lovable rogue. <clears throat> so saying stuff that was um on the edge and the sad reality is I was leading people astray in the same way that my youth leader had done to my sister and my sister had done to me I was leading other people astray <clears throat> and I loved Jesus but I just loved this kind of infamy even more but we're not just talking about swearing today I want to broaden our focus just a little bit more and talk about anything we do with our mouths which brings destruction and death, 
So that could be gossip. It could be crude or foolish joking. Nonsense. <clears throat> boasting, scoffing, mocking, slandering, lying, false modesty. And of course, blasphemy. And this stuff is, is, it really is going on. And it's not just happening outside the church, it's happening inside the church too. In fact, I've noted down a few names of people that have done these things in the last year we've been here. I'm glad you laughed. <laughs> I haven't. Um, can you imagine if I did? How would you feel if I started listing off people that I knew had either gossiped or said something negative about someone or had blasphemed casually? It would be quite intimidating. At least if someone else were up here reading out a list of names, I would be feeling intimidated because I'd know that I, I make foolish jokes all the time. And I'd know that when they came to the subsection of foolish jokes, my name would be near the top of the list. So, that's my kind of introduction, my story. We're just going to read a passage of scripture. Why don't you grab your Bible? It's not going to be projected, so um, we're going to go to, where are we going to go, do you reckon, if we're going to talk about the power of the tongue? That would be a great place, but it's not. Yeah, James, who said James? Yeah. Actually, James and Proverbs are, Proverbs are very much linked. Um, James has the, um, quality of being most like the book of Proverbs in the New Testament and most like the Sermon on the Mount as well. So James's teaching is very much like Jesus and very much like that of Solomon. Okay. So chapter three. Come on, in honour of Jeff, let's stand up as we read God's word, shall we? Yeah, in honour of God, Abby, yes, that's what we mean, really. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Amen. So the first point I want to pick up on then from this is that your tongue guides your body. Okay, and we're we're not talking here about unnamed prosperity teachers where they encourage you to say, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm influential, and you kind of drum up this self-perpetuated um, goodness. That's That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about rudders, bits, and fires. Okay? If you tell yourself the whole time that you're stupid, guess what? You're going to become more stupid. It will happen. It's like the self-fulfilling prophecy. If you say, I cannot beat this addiction, guess what? You won't. But there's a positive side to this as well. Guess what? If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, and if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So we see two sides here, don't we? We see that the tongue can bring um, death, it can bring this kind of self-fulfilling negative prophecy on yourself, or it can change impossible and in ma- and, um, situations and make amazing things happen. So what do we what do we take from that? Well, I was I wrote down be careful with what you say. But then I realized that the connotation of the word careful is a bit too it it, it sort of connotes fear, doesn't it? Fantastic. <laughs> this is my friend James by the way, everyone. So in conclusion, James has much wisdom. Uh, So I don't really want to use the word careful because I think it feels too much like be fearful about what you say. That's not what I want to teach this morning. But what I do want to say is be creative in using your words to lead yourself, your family, your community towards a God-glorifying end. Amen? So rudders... And bits and fires are good things. But if the horse is galloping over you, or the ship is aiming at your pedalo, or the fire is burning your curtains, you will not feel like it's such a good thing. So it needs to be controlled and pointed in a useful and God-fearing direction. My friend Dave, everyone's got to have a friend called Dave. Haven't they? Um, my friend Dave, he's actually coming to preach here in a few weeks' time. <clears throat> he said he noticed that the first thing to go when people were falling away from God was their language. They'd start using coarse language. Isn't that an amazing challenge to us? It's like in the beginning, God used words to create. When we become Christians, we use words to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's like first gear in a car. If you want to get somewhere, you need to get it in first gear and to get going. 
Now, if you find that your first gear is taking you away from God, that's just the beginning. You wait till you get into second, third gear. When you find that your first gear is taking you away from God, you need to hit the brakes, turn around, repent, and put it back in first, make sure it's in first gear and point it in the right direction. Amen? So that's our first point, is that, what was it again? Your tongue guides your body. There we go. Someone's taking notes. Point two is words are good for building. So, um, I don't use the word kingdom to apply to what the devil is in charge of, okay? So, um, I say, either you build God's kingdom or Satan's principality. He's called the prince of darkness or the prince of this world. So, we'll call it a principality. Is that okay with you all? He's not a king. Hallelujah. So you can either use words to build God's kingdom or Satan's principality, okay? Now, there are neutral phrases and words like, please could you pass the butter? Or, entschuldigen Sie bitte, I put my towel there first. Um, <laughs> they're like neutral phrases, aren't they? They, they don't do either of those things of building God's kingdom or Satan's principality. Paul gives us an amazing guideline. If you want to do further study into this stuff, read the end of Ephesians because he is just going hammer and tongs at this stuff. But Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting or unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, only that which is good for building people up, as fits the occasion or according to others' needs, that it may give grace to those who hear. Isn't that awesome? Do your words bring grace to people? Not just directly to that person, but if I talk about Chris to Andy, does it build Chris up? Does it bring grace to Chris? Does it bring grace to Andy the way I talk about Chris? It's a really, really good guideline. One principle that Sarah and I share is that if we are saying something about someone that we would be uncomfortable for them to hear if they were in the room, then we need to stop saying it. So words are for building others up. Um, Jeff, Steve, and I have been learning Greek. And the word for to say or to speak is legu. Lego. So I want you to just, just imagine, okay, tiny yellow and red bricks of everything you say and speak is like a brick and you're building up either the kingdom of God or the principality of Satan. And that's really serious. Because if you say, do you know, Andy just looked really tired this morning. I felt he led a little bit half-heartedly, a bit lackluster. You know, maybe just for prayer concern. Maybe we should just be praying for him. I'm afraid that is building Satan's principality. You're actually destroying something. Now, you can say, I feel we should pray for Andy. I really want to see him encouraged. That's great. But if you are tearing someone down with your words and then putting a cloak of spirituality on it, you're still doing the same thing, except it's kind of worse. So it's Lego cathedrals or Lego prisons. You make your choice with what you say. Matthew 12, 34. It's nice and easy to remember, isn't it? One, two, three, four. Um, 
Matthew 12:34 b it's quite important. If you look it up and it says, you brood of vipers, then just read a bit further through the verse. Um, it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of evil treasure brings forth. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It's quite heavy stuff, isn't it? I mean, don't you sometimes wish wish Jesus would just be a bit more easygoing, a bit more liberal? (laughs) I'm glad he wasn't. The word treasure, Jesus uses it in another place, doesn't he? It's just come to mind now. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the message says, and end up being. Your heart and your is your treasure. If you take care of it, good stuff's going to come out of your mouth. If you don't take care of it, bad stuff's going to come out of your mouth. So, Colossians 3.16, I love my 3.16s people, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, Brian Houston once said, what you dwell on, you dwell in. You know, like, if there's good stuff going on, then it's going to come out. Fill your heart with all good things. Go to that passage in, is it Philippians 4, which talks about whatever is true, whatever is noble. So that's point two. Words are good for building whether for good or evil. Point three is you become like your dad. If you're a woman, I'd like you to change that interpretation to mean your mum. Okay, so when I was a teenager, I was really insecure. I know you can't imagine it now. Um, do you know what? Okay, this, I'm telling you this because it's embarrassing me, which does is really doing, it's going to do me good, so bear with me. For six months, I went cockney. <laughs> I I just thought it would be cool, you know, and I was using rhyming slang. And um and my parents must have thought, what on earth is this boy doing? What's even more embarrassing was for a year I thought I was black. <laughs> and then I was this surfer boy that couldn't really surf and um talking and sounding like my dad. <laughs> if you met my dad, you'd be like, ooh. When Jesus encounters some hypocrites, he says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Man, Jesus does not pull his punches. I love that. I kind of want to be more like that. <laughs> anyway, John 10.10, 10, we all know what that says, don't we? The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, and life more abundant, or um, have it abundantly. That paints the picture very well. If you speak words that either kill, steal, or destroy, 
then you know who your father is. If you speak words that promote life and life more abundant, then you know who your father is. Words are a fantastic insight into your heart and into your DNA. Okay, final point, point four. Words are a joyful duty. In the beginning, God took some dust and he breathed into it and it gave life. How cool is that? He spoke words and life burgeoned out of the ground. Then later, Jesus, Son of God, fully like God. Do you know what I learned this week? It was so cool. Again, with Greek. The word for only begotten is monogenes. Or if you write it out, it's monogenes. Okay, if you transliterate it into English script. Monogenes. Like the only one carrying the DNA. How cool is that? I love that. Anyway, so Jesus, the monogenes of God... Um, I think it's John twenty twenty two. breathes into his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes life into them. So God at the beginning breathes into dust, brings life, and joy was the result, the resultant um, thing. Then Jesus breathes into his disciples, spirit comes on them, and joy is promoted. We are now called to go into the world to preach the gospel, make disciples, to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And we are to speak these words of life into the world around us. And it will result in joy. Let's go make some joy. So to conclude then, I f- whenever I teach, I, I always feel like there is a something of the prophetic that I have to bring. And it's often quite heavy, so. Death has been creeping into the church like a tiger through a camp. And the church for many decades now has slept through the violence that has been suffered by that tiger. Ignoring the cry of the innocent. And let us be aware that the teeth and the claws of that tiger are our words. You and I have been responsible, I've already shared with you that I have, for leading people astray, for using words to bring death that kill, steal and destroy to those around us when what we should be doing is protecting them. You can become quite quick at discerning, actually. If if you have in mind this thing of life and death, let's just use that as our quick when you test if something's alkali or acid. It's just a quick check. What is this? Before you say something, or even as you're saying it, if you're like me and you have already started speaking when you think whether this is right or not, um... You need to kind of be ready to say sorry very quickly. I've had to do that lots of times, even recently. I've said something 
No, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Just reel it bit back in quickly. God will forgive you. It's okay. And God can mend um, that which we break. But if you just leave it, it's no good. I want you to imagine we're on a journey to some distant mountains, okay? Do you picture those mountains? Yeah? Um, and we know that in this place, no matter, we, we know how to get there, no matter how the, the road may wind and take us off in wrong directions, we know that we, all we've got to do is jump a fence and keep walking towards those mountains. Now, that's a little bit what it's like <clears throat> when we think about heaven. Heaven is a place where the kingdom of God is established, where we're perfect, we're clothed in righteousness, our old selves are fully dead and our new selves are generously bestowed on us. There'll be no tears or sin or suffering or poor choices. Words will be used for such poetry and songs that are unthinkably beautiful. No words will be spoken in anger or gossip or insecurity will be mended and free from destruction. Simply, we will be free to use our tongues eternally for his glory and the power to kill will have been vanquished. Truly, death will be swallowed up in victory. That's our end goal. Those are the mountains. So now our responsibility is to pursue the increase of those things in our lives, in this church and in the world around us. And one simple way I would say is by taming the tongue, using words to bring life, not death. Imagine what it would be like if every... What if we could turn the clock back and just undo some of the things that have seeped into our church? I'm talking about People sleeping together before they're married. How did that seep in? My guess is that through words. That was the first gear. That was how things got in. What if we could turn the clock back on gossip, on any of these things, really? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't it be great if we could just slam the brakes on an evil within the church and in ourselves? Get in the right position, get it in first gear, and start using our words for the glory of God. And then, who knows what we can go on to do? We know where we're going to end up, in this place where there's no sin, and where words will be eternally used for creating and um, glorifying God. But in this life, Jesus says, greater things even than I will you do. So shall we use our words for lifting others up? Yeah. Shall we use our words for speaking life where there is death? It's not just mindless kind of Pentecostalism. There is something very powerful. God speaks, creates. Jesus speaks, creates. We are carrying on the family business of speaking and bringing life. Amen.